ஜனசலாக்கியாக்ஷிமிலிதாஞ்சினஸ்மிஸ்ரீகுரவேனுஷ்ணாமனுமாபிசிபுத்திரம்ஸ்வரூபம்ஷாஜமுரூபுரிம
at the end of the ninth canto, Parikshin uh, Maharaj is almost, you know, he has seven days to live. And at the end of the ninth canto, he's also already in his fourth day. So half of the period has already gone. And he's there to hear about Krishna mostly. Now he's a Krishna Bhakta, he's Ishtadev, he's Krishna, it's not Vishnu, Barahadev, Nishrimhadev, he's Krishna. Uh, and he's waiting from Sukadev Goswami to hear about Krishna. I mean, he's valuing all that was said before, but he, he his main meal <laughs> will be Krishna Lila, and half of his period of life is already passed. And and he somehow asks Sukadev Goswami, so like is there anything to be said about Krishna Lila? <laughs> and very interestingly, Sukadev Goswami tests tests the thirst, the hunger of his disciple at the end of the ninth cantons, and, and mentions one or two, if I'm not mistaken, maybe two verses only, summarizing the whole of Krishna Lila. Like, like, let's see if this is enough for you. Can you tell me about something about Krishna Lila? One, two verses. And if Parikshin Maharaj will have said, I'm satisfied, thank you so much, sir. End of the session, see you next, goodbye. And Well, of course, Parikshin Maharaj didn't say that. He had op questions and objections to that. <laughs> Please expand. No? And then we have 10th canto of the Bhagavatam, Krishna Lila, officially, so to say. But without Parikshin Maharaj's insistence and questions, we wouldn't have the 10th canto, we could say. So my point is, here we see the crucial role of the inquirer as well. It's not only the one who is talking, but it's also the role of the one who presents the question, who will, the questions in, in themselves will be able to churn something extra in the person who is talking. Even something extra that the person who is talking didn't know about. That can happen. The, the, the speaker may be sharing something, But in the interaction, as we were talking a few minutes before the lecture, we were talking about musical improvisation. <laughs> and, and, and each one of the, don't get distracted, each one of the musicians <laughs> in the group have their own capacity and their own adhikar. But when all of them get together, the combined eligibility of all of them in the context of improvising with some common center brings them to a whole new level where they become instruments themselves they play an instrument and they are instruments of someone else who is playing them so somehow Ishtagosti has a similar dynamic one is asking one is answering but at the same time the two of them are, are working together it's a teamwork in order to attain a higher a higher level of experience we could say where all of them are servants of a superior ideal we could say So I'm saying this also for you to know that there is an important value in those who ask the questions. It's not just like, oh, the, 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 big, the whole show is for the speaker and the questions are irrelevant or something. We, we can see in our own tradition if there are no questions. Like Mahaprabhu talking with Ramananda Roy also. He's making the questions, Sri Chaitanya Dev. What's the ultimate goal of life? Sadhya Sadhana Tattva. What's the practice and the goal and the practice to reach that goal? And Ramananda Roy replies something, but Mahaprabhu will say, tell more, augment that truth. That's, that's not enough, more. And he will continue. So in this way, the conversation will like gradually expand and unfold. But if there's only one person, 
probably we wouldn't reach the same place. So that's an important point for us always to, uh, to re remind, understand, and be humbled about. We need each other. The, 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 the speaker needs the inquirer. The inquirer needs the speaker. And both of them need Krishna's inspiration for something to happen. <laughs> so it's a mutual interrelationship. You know? It's not just there's one guy doing everything, so to say. You know? We need each other for the whole equation to bear fruit. Mm -hmm. How long will this be open for? I actually have a class from four to five. But if I can come at five and ask questions, I'll go and come. Otherwise, I'm happy to stay. I, I don't. I cannot tell you how long it will be, but probably after it's it's yeah. I don't. Uh, you decide. I, I cannot tell. I cannot tell you. Yeah, yeah, of course. So, after that introduction, anyone has any question? Yes. Uh, I was reading the Bhagavad Gita, and it's many times saying the strong arms, the powerful arms. English, English. Is a lot of times. Yes. And other part saying um, the form, the spiritual form, have four arms. Mm -hmm. So brings in my mind the four uh, forces in the nature. Which four forces? It's gravity, electromagnetic uh, force, uh, nuclear force, strong. And nuclear force the weak. And for the moment, we can synthesize more than that. Mm -hmm. What about love? It's an animate force. Mm -hmm. So, it's a, the question is, is in, in many places to explain why uh, four arms? Mm -hmm. Because maybe it's I mean, it's mentioned in scripture eternally. Krishna, not Krishna so much, although Krishna shows that to Arjuna in the Gita. Four arms, Chaturbhuj. Actually, four arms, I mean, there's no mention about the four energy forces you mentioned. But the four arms are kind of symbolic of something that is overtly divine. So to say overtly God, overtly extraordinary. It's like four arms. I mean, you don't see people usually with four arms here. Hopefully, I don't know, you tell me. I mean, we are in Mayapur, not in Vaikuntha. So generally you don't see people with four arms. Because if you see someone with four arms, your reaction will be like, this is not from this world. This is otherworldly. So, so the idea of the four arms, because again, we, we hear so many this descriptions in the script in the shastra like Vishnu appearing with four arms and Sanka, Chakra, Gada, Padma. You no, know, those are the four items in each hand, you no, know, the conch shell and the lotus and the club and the disc. Mm -hmm. But generally we we hear the the mention of that. We just we generally don't hear that he's doing something with those four arms. 
Generally, we hear that he has four arms and what does he what he has in those four arms. Uh, so I will say that the main point that is trying to be made with this description of four arms, which is eternal, and that's how Vishnu Narayan appears in Vaikuntha and how everyone in Vaikuntha appears, is to make this point that this is divine, transcendental, spiritual. Again, you see four arms is extraordinary. It's not from this world. It's like a symbol of saying otherworldly, four arms. It's not two. That's the point. It's not two. It's not two. It's not two. Don't get too much entangling the number itself. Why not five? Why not seven? Why not 108? I mean, Krishna can show all those numbers whenever he likes. That's no problem for him. But generally the idea, and that's what Arjuna basically also shows, when Krishna shows the universal form, that, that, that does not have four arms. That has a few more. <laughs> a few thousand billion more, so to say, you know, and heads and everything. You know? Like when you hear this, uh, the Purusha Shuktam also from the Vedas, when I'm staying in Gornagar there, reciting it daily, there's some group of, I, I will say, Brahmacharis who are like learning Vedic recitation. And it's nice, it takes me in time because when I was young Brahmachari, we learned the Purusha Shukta with, with one devotee. So. So I still I still remember that's very interesting because we learn it and with the accents of the notes and and somehow it kind of sticks with you. Om Sahasra Sirsha Purushaha Sahasraksha Sahasrapad Sabhumim Vishwato Pritva Atitishta Dasangulam Purusha Ivedagum Sarva, etc. I won't torture you today with that with my recitation. But the point is that is describing the form of God with thousands, millions of heads. Universal form, again, thousands of millions of heads and arms, uh, which is, again, it's overtly otherworldly. Arjuna asked for Krishna with curiosity, like, I would like to see that Vishwarup. I've heard about that. No, I've heard that you showed that uh, in the assembly of the Kurus at one point. I like to see that myself. I mean, it's not that that this Tadev is his object of devotion, but he was curious. So Krishna showed Bishwaru. So it was too too much, too overworldly, otherworldly. And Arjuna started, as we know, to tremble, to cry, to be afraid, to beg forgiveness to Krishna for treating him like an equal. So he started to become so uncomfortable. And Krishna started to become so uncomfortable also. Because Krishna is in Sakyabab with Arjuna. So they are friends. And now he's seeing his friend begging forgiveness for treating him like a friend. Mm -hmm. Imagine if you have a friend and your friend suddenly falls at your feet and starts to cry and, and apologize. You, Please, sorry for having embraced you, having sit with you on the same bed, having called you this bullying names. <laughs> And you're like, what's what's going on? You know, you're my friend. Stand up. Give me an embrace. Stop crying. What's this nonsense? <laughs> so Arjuna was in that mood, disturbed. And Krishna started to be disturbed also because the, their friendship was disturbed. The mood of friendship that moment was disturbed. Because Arjuna wanted to see the Vishwarupa and Krishna said, okay, you want to see that? It will disturb our friendship, but I will do it. To, to make some points to the rest of the world for eternity. <laughs>
So it was very otherworldly and it was so disturbing. And then, as we know, it is described that Krishna from the Vishwarup with unlimited arms and heads, he adopts a form with four arms. He goes in sequence before adopting his original Dewey Butch two-arm form. He goes to the forearm like a pade pade, step-by-step cram sequence. And when he appears with four arms, Arjuna is a little bit more composed. It's not so overwhelming that whatever he sees, there are arms, basically. <laughs> now at least there are four only. Still, is still he's not Krishna. So still there is some slight level of, of disturbance. And then he takes Dwibuj, his original two-arm form, human-like, as Prabhupada will say. And then Arjuna is like, oh, I'm totally satisfied. And that form is the origin, origin, the origin, sorry, of all the other forms, which is interesting. Because for m- most people, we may think the opposite. Oh, the more are the more arms a form has. <laughs> That's the origin of the forms who have lesser arms, something like that, right? The more big something is, is the source of the smaller one. So my point with this is Krishna, as in a two-armed form, he doesn't look like God. He seems very localized, very small by comparison with the Bishwarup. <laughs> but he shows the Bishwarup just to show I'm the source of that, of that thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. When he shows Brahma in the Brahma Vimohan Lila, all these Narayans coming from his own expansions as boys and cubs, such an Ishvarya. And suddenly all that manifestation shrinks, and it's only Krishna as a boy, still with some lump of yogurt from the picnic a few minutes, and looking like, Where are my friends? And Brahma's four heads are like spinning like crazy. He's like, What's going on here? So so he shows four arms or more than four, just to make this point. Uh, this is divine, but also to make this point, if this is coming from me, I'm also divine. You know? so just for us to remember, be careful of not thinking that Krishna is ordinary or that Krishna Lila, Krishna Lila is or because it seems very small, very limited. If you on it on a very superficial uh, glance look at Krishna Lila, you start to think, oh, that sounds like my childhood village life in India or something. It doesn't seem like God or the highest reality <laughs> at a superficial glance. Of course, if you look at that with proper tattva and siddhanta, you really understand, wow, this is beyond Vaikuntha. But in the beginning, we need to be properly cautioned. And that's why Krishna's here and there shows a few more arms or some Aishwarya, just to remind us here and there, don't forget, no? don't forget, no? Govardhan Lila, some glimpses of Aishwarya overtly are there. Aishwarya is in Brindavan fully, as I said the other day. There is no more Aishwarya than in Brindavan. You have more Aishwarya, more opulence, more godhood in Brindavan than even in Vaikuntha. But in Brindavan, it's all buried under layers and layers of intimacy and love. The love there is so heavy, so profound, that all this thick Aishwarya becomes buried in the ground. So sometimes it comes, but just to serve the purpose of intimacy. So, so yeah, these four arms basically are there to show this is God, this is extraordinary, this is from other world. Hmm? 
and, and of course, sometimes we have to connect that with, okay, Krishna Lila doesn't have four arms, but it doesn't mean it's not otherworldly in its own way. It doesn't mean it's not transcendental. So we need to understand how Krishna Lila, Gaur Lila, as we talked yesterday, is super transcendental. It's so transcendental that it no longer looks transcendental. It's so divine that it looks ordinary. It's like full circle. <laughs> Vaikuntha is clearly divine. Again, four arms, everything is like extraordinary. People flying. Brihad Bhagavatamrita describes inhabitants of Vaikuntha change forms according to the necessity of the moment. So they can become birds and humans and dogs and trees. <laughs> In Vrindavan, that's not happening. Everything seems more normal and error down to earth. <laughs> but in one sense, that it's even more extraordinary when we start to look closer at what's happening there at the level of Prem, as we were talking yesterday. What's the psychology of Ibrajavasi? How they operate? When even with especially with Krishna shows Aishvarya, how they react to that. You know, Krishna shows clearly that he's totally otherworldly. And they, their intimacy for him grows. Instead of feeling, you are, you may seem, you may be God or something. That's not happening. So, so that's that's the greatest Aishvarya. That's the greatest opulence, divine love, <laughs> and that's the greatest force in the universe. Ultimately, love is the greatest force in the universe. Uh, that that's the very backdrop of the universe, according to our tradition. That's what I try to. Explain in the last chapter of radical personalism how this whole cosmos and material creation, the background of that is divine love. This, there's a very deep connection between the love that Krishna experiences in the Lila and how that makes this whole cosmic manifestation manifest. It's not disconnected from each other. When we have the eyes to see, we'll, we'll see this world in terms in connection to the divine love of Radha and Krishna. Yeah. Now, some thoughts in connection to the four arms. Mm -hmm. Yes. Let's begin with one, and let's see if others has, have others, and if not, we'll return. Yeah. Um, one, when one has committed and taken um, Diksha from a guru, who one, you know, initially had so much faith and was following, but, you know, Maybe due to offenses or upright, if you lose that pain or the taste or the ability, the strength to keep up with the commitment, how to reawaken that faith and commitment and seriousness towards Guru and Guru's instructions and the, you know, how to reawaken that? Of course, how to reawaken faith in the Guru. If one feels that in time one is not experiencing that due to uprod or some reason. Of course, each case is different. Like I will give again a very general answer because every situation is. Sorry? Yes, but still. I will give a general answer because each disciple's situation is different. And I will say that you are speaking about commitment and, and taking Diksha. But of course, as we know, before accepting Diksha, Sila Rupa Goswami mentions that 
before Diksha comes, Guru Padashraya, which translates as taking shelter in a Guru. And then he says, Sri Krishna Dikshadi Sikshanam. Accept Siksha and further Diksha. Accept Diksha and further Siksha. But first comes surrendering to the Guru. The first, the first Anga, the first expression of Bhakti is Sharanagati. Sharanagati is kind of the, how to say, how to say in English. Sharanagati is, uh, what's the word? One second. <laughs> it's like the prelude, yeah, like a room, like a threshold of bhakti. Mm -hmm. Sharanagati is not the, the essence of bhakti. Sharanagati is the preface of bhakti. It begins with Sharanagati and then unfolds. Because if we are not surrendered, I mean, how can we speak about bhakti? <laughs> of course, surrender are there are levels of surrender. No, it's not that yesterday I was not surrender and today I, I'm surrender. It's not from zero to hundred and eight percent, but at least we can try to surrender as much as we can in our particular stage. So it all begins with surrender, and I'm saying this why because if one is sincerely surrendered, and I again I don't each case is different, but in some cases we are not that surrender in the beginning, as we should. Uh, but we may think we are. That's my point. We may have a bona fide guru, he or she is worthy of my full surrender, because again, a guru has to be bona fide for our surrender to be offered. <laughs> Because someone is not bona fide and you fully surrender to someone who may be abusive, I mean, you don't want to think what will happen as a result. But if the guru is bona fide and we we surrender, naturally, I mean, faith shouldn't be affected. But sometimes faith, we may think, oh, my faith got affected in time. And, and in the beginning it was okay and now it's not okay. But probably in the beginning it was not that okay either. <laughs> and again, I'm talking in general. Each case is different. But sometimes that can happen. Sometimes we may feel, because of initial enthusiasm, what Vishwanath Chakravartitakur describes as uh, Utsahamayi, which means we are enthusiastic about beginning anything. <laughs> if I tell you, okay, tomorrow we'll give, have a first class of whatever, learning to talk, Chinese, well, that may not be very inspiring. <laughs> that may be more intimidating. But let's have a first class of whatever. <laughs> Playing some new sport or game we discovered. That will be more like, okay, yes. Just because it's the first day. No? Because we are starting something new, there is some form of inspiration. So sometimes with Bhakti we experience, oh, I'm so inspired. And I'm not saying it's totally fake. But big part of that inspiration sometimes is just because you are beginning something. It's not yet a very well-grounded, well-thought-out inspiration or faith. It may be a more, I don't know, you may be in a place where everyone is like, is, and you may feel, wow, I have so much faith in this. But actually still you don't understand almost anything. <laughs> but you're just being carried by the waves of the, of the audience, so to say, of <laughs> the masses. Everyone is like jumping and, and I'm not saying they're jumping and, and whatever they do is false. I'm just saying from which place we think we have faith, it may not be very substantial. 
It's just because I'm in an environment where there is some wave going in one direction and I'm carried by the wave and I feel like, wow, I have lots of faith and probably not. <laughs> probably the experience is real, it's good, it's necessary, but it's not the same as a well-grounded, thought-out faith. Because only when there is a well-thought-out faith will be a proper sadhanagati. Because Saranagati, this is said by Jiva Goswami and repeated by Bhakti Nottakur, Saranagati is the outer expression of Shraddha. I repeat, Saranagati or surrender is the outer expression of Shraddha, of faith. When I have deep faith, that will express itself externally as surrender. That should be the ideal surrender. A surrender that is the natural outflow, out, outpouring of a deep faith. And faith, again, this is a long conversation and I have to go to different places, but faith, Shraddha, according to Rupa Goswami, Shraddha has to be Shastriya Shraddha. He speaks about Lokiki Shraddha and Shastriya Shraddha. Lokiki Shraddha means like mundane faith or faith out of social convention or something, like what I was describing. Now, there are some social dynamics going on and I'm like, tune in with that. And I'm like, wow, I'm so inspired. The temple was full and there was so lots of prasad. <laughs> and that's okay, but that's not enough to inform your faith. <laughs> it's not about big events and numbers. You have to receive certain education. Your faith needs to be educated with Shastra because we are to have faith in what? Shastras in what revelation is is is, is sharing. Hmm? That's the, the expression that Rupa Goswami uses, Shastriya Shraddha. We are to have faith in what Shastra says. And for that, you have first to know what Shastra says. <laughs> if you don't have too much of an idea of what Shastra says, how can you have Shastriya Shraddha? So when there is proper Shastra based on what Shastra is saying, that will give naturally rise to Sharanagati or surrender a type of Saranagati that's very natural and that is very stable and, and, and profound. And in those cases, generally, after time, that won't go away. That won't like dwindle, but it will become more and more solidified. So if that's not happening, of course, Aparat can be there, but I wouldn't easily go to Aparat because sometimes devotees kind of put all the blame on Aparat. You know, something's going on, I must have committed Aparat. Probably not. Because also going there can be problematic because, oh, surely I must commit an apparat. And maybe you don't, but you don't know which was the apparat because probably there was no apparat. But somehow you, you convince yourself, but surely there was some apparat. Uh, and, and you enter into a guilt trip or who knows what. Well, actually, it was just that your initial faith was not grounded enough. And you need to further ground your faith by going, going deep into Shastra and, and that will take you to a deeper form of surrender, which is more sustainable. And that's for me a more realistic way of addressing the situation instead of saying, what's apparat? I mean, again, it can be apparat that be also realistic, but it can be other things as well. So that's why I'm sharing some variety of, of options. <clears throat> Um, but again, if, if, 
I, what I've seen personally, and I also talking from my own experience and seeing in other people, is that if one develops one faith by deeply studying and knowing what Shastra is saying, what's being talked by Parampara, trying to apply myself in practice based on those principles, naturally there will be a, just the Sharanagati that will come as an expression of, of that will be will be durable, will be sustainable, won't be like disappearing, coming and going. So if that happened, okay, life happens. It's not just a tragedy. It's just, okay, this is an invitation for me to uh, maybe go in deep into my faith. Now, for example, as we were talking the other day, why did, why did I accept the guru? One can ask that question. Not because you are doubting your guru, but because you are trying to discover a deeper reason to be a disciple. Because we may have accepted the guru initially with a good intention, good heart, but it doesn't mean that that's, that was the ultimate deeper reason for being a disciple. It was enough at that time to accept the guru, <laughs> but it, it may not be enough in time to remain a disciple. So every day we have to ask ourselves, why I choose to be a disciple? Why do I hope? Because it's a choice we make. It's a voluntary choice. I choose, I choose to be a disciple. I choose to be a servant. I choose to surrender. That's all voluntary. Nobody's <laughs> putting a gun, surrender. Because sometimes surrender, that's the idea of surrender in this world, no? surrender. And the person with a white flag, I surrender. No, no, this is a voluntary surrender. So for us to choose surrender every single day, we have to be inspired enough with deep faith that us to choose that. We have to understand what surrender. Sorry if I, I don't want to sound too heavy, but sometimes sometimes the voters do not know what surrender. <laughs> I won't put you to test live now, but Sometimes they ask about, okay, there is a one famous verse which speaks about what Saranagati and the six main expressions of Saranagati. And sometimes they ask about, do you know which are them? And they say, no. So therefore, we, we don't know what Saranagati. Because you can say, yes, I know what it is, surrender. And what's that? What's the implications of that? Because we can have the official translations of the term, but we don't, may not understand the implications of that. So that's important because if not, we just are left with a glossary, with a lingo. Okay, I, this means this, this is this, this is this, but we don't know how to unpack those ideas in our life. No? So I, I think it's, it's important. I don't want to sound that I'm promoting something just intellectual, but I'm just saying all these books that are published, the proper translated and so on, <laughs> They are there for some reason. They are not only to be distributed to others. <laughs> hmm? They are they are to be read by ourselves. No, I mean because we may we may love to distribute books, and that may become even an evasive tactic not to read the books. <laughs> uh, so we, we we have to fall in love with the books ourselves first, because saying before saying I will love to see everyone reading that. But first, how much in love you are reading that? How much you are reading that even without falling in love? <laughs> so we have to, to, to study these books as much as we can. Again, I'm not, each one will have their own capacity. And I know we are in a, 
in the times of history where reading books is not the most popular thing, <laughs> but there are audio books. <laughs> we have some options. Or we have we can hear Harikata where these books are explained. But the point is we have to to know what we are doing basically. If I say okay, I'm a devotee, I'm a bhakta, so I practice bhakti. So what's bhakti? Can you give me the definition of the bhakti we practice in, from shastra? And generally, maybe what you say, I don't know. So if you don't know what you are doing, what are you doing? <laughs> And I'm not promoting a very elaborate, tortuous, extreme level of study that nobody can sustain. But I mean, I know that every devotee have a capacity. I mean, every one of us have a capacity to study, to think, to even to memorize verses. Sometimes they will tell me, no, Maharaj, I cannot memorize verses. So, okay, how many songs from your non-devotional past do you re remember by heart? And they have like playlist and playlist and so that shows you have a very good memory <laughs> so we shouldn't be like no very quickly no no, no i cannot do, no 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 i cannot do that <laughs> no we, we have to try to and again it's not just about memorization like a pirate but it's just to but first you need to know okay what that verse is about how what does it mean in practice how to go deep because again if not our faith may be more sentimental Maybe more like, mm, I will come and go. I will be just, I have faith only when there is halaba on the Sunday feast, so to say. <laughs> or I have faith only when the kirtan is performed by a professional musician. Or I have faith only if the whatever class is given in perfect Sanskrit. And, and I become more attached to externals. It's interesting, Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur says that in... Madhura Kadamini, when he's describing the devotee in the stage of Ruchi, which is relatively high, and he says there's a lower level of Ruchi with the devotee will experience Ruchi only in the temple, only if the temple is very big and the altar is very fancy and decorated and the kirtan is everything, all the rag and the tal and all the technicalities are in place, okay, Ruchi comes. And then he said there is a higher type of Ruchi where it's not required to have all those things. The devotee will go beyond. So the point he's making is that even happens in Ruchi. So don't feel you, yourself so bad if we still may feel I'm conditioned by some of these externals to have some like, Ooh. but again, that's not the all in all to nourish our faith. Because if I always need a, again, a Gandharva-like kirtan, um, the best possible prashad or something to be inspired, what if that's not there? What if I'm stuck on an, in an island for a week without anything of that? I, I, I abandon all my vows because I by myself. I, I, it's me and my faith. <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, it's us and our faith. That's the only thing we can, we ultimately can carry anywhere. Everything else comes and goes, but our faith, that's it, that's it, that's what we can offer. That's our presentation, that's our heart. Shraddha means that to present our heart. So okay, you raised like many of you raised the hands all this time, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have you have more faith in Shastra. Do you have any recommendations of which books to go that would specifically help with this aspect of 
commitment to you and being more committed with your not just like locking a shraddha, but how to get more shastri shraddha in this aspect. Do you have any recommendations? Where to go? Well, one should ask ask one's guru. <laughs> That's how it works, because one's ideally studies shastra under the guidance of one's guru. Even though one may not be living with the guru, but somehow one accepts a guru in connection to learning shastra from the guru, because that's one of the main functions of the guru. Like when if one goes to, I don't know, university, one accepts a teacher, and that teacher will teach you and guide you and tell you, read these books and these books and study that. It's not like, okay, I will just do whatever I like. It's like, but you had your teacher there, no? So personally, I'll try make, first to make that point because I don't like to interfere with anyone's relationship with their guru. But of course, there is some general uh, list of books, but again, each case is very different. That's why I over and over emphasize this point, radical personalism. Everything is absolutely personal. So guru and disciple is a personal relationship. And each disciple will need something different from the other. So it's not like one size fits all. We can say, yeah, Bhagavad Gita, Bhagavatam, Chaitanya, Charitamrita, we have that sequence. But also there are so many intricacies in between. And there are so many other books. There are not only those three books, of course. There are so many books from the Gupayi Goswamis and even contemporary Acharyas. Uh, and even, I'm sorry if this sounds too much, but... Sometimes people do not need to read books because some people, and I'm saying that with all respect, but I've seen that, there's people who do not know how to read. Not because they are illiterate, but they pick the book and they understand something completely out of the picture, out of context. They, don't, they are not equipped with certain criterion and sensibility to understand the context of, of what scripture is trying to say. And they can become dangerous because if you understand a sacred text with absolutes and ultimate truths immaturely, you can become a serial killer in the name of God. <laughs> so before putting a, a book, of, I, I, that's what I, I will say first, at least, before putting a book with absolute truths <laughs> in the hands of someone, you have to make sure that the person knows how to process that information. Because if not, it's like if you're giving a, a gun to a five-year-old kid, something like that. They do not know what to do with that. So, again, I'm talking in general. Probably you're asking me in particular your case, but I'm, asking, I'm talking also at the same time in a public lecture, so I cannot just limit everything to a personal thing. But, yeah... At the end of the day, uh, at the end of the day, if one accepts the guru, one has to ask one's guru about that. And if one cannot ask what's one's guru for some reason, then then that's the question one has to <laughs> be asking: how to how to deal, how to solve that. No, if there is some way of asking him, or he he already established something for his disciples, or I don't know. Again, each case is. Very unique, very personal, and I cannot delve into that in this moment. <laughs> but whatever the case, it's important that, that yeah, we are we have some ongoing education and shastra. And again, education and shastra not only 
take the book and read it, but also hear from, from the one who knows the book, because we can read again the book and understand anything and everything. But when we are hearing from, from a sadhu who knows the purpose of the book, who learned that from his own guru in Parampara, that will come to us with a different impact and with a different clarity, and we can ask questions. You cannot ask questions to the book. No. Generally. <laughs> That's why it's important the living sadhu. No? Sometimes devotees will mention, well, everything is in Prabhupada's books. And I understand the line, but Prabhupada also say parampara is necessary. <laughs> no, he didn't he never canceled the parampara saying from now on the book is the the, the final guru. No, that's the six. No, the six took that the guru granta sahib. You know, the six, they say, the last guru of the six say, now from now on, Granta, the scripture is the last guru, no more living gurus. But that's not our tradition. So there has to be an ongoing chain of living masters to, to explain to explain that. Hmm? Yeah. No? Okay. Thanks for coming. You raise your hand. Yes, you was speaking about surrender, and this is going together with repentance. No? Mm -hmm. So sometimes uh, I see it like. Uh, I what, 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 one second. Why you say that? Yeah, but why did I, I not because necessarily? I was going to say surrender is the beginning of surrender. What's coming to me the the. Uh, the sermon of uh, the Montai sermon of Jesus mm -hmm. begins mm -hmm. say, okay, the kingdom of the Lord is here, yes uh, the key is repentance, no? mm -hmm. you must feel uh, what you are making what, what is wrong in your life mm -hmm. and yes it, I think is in the, that moment is common surrender because you know, you, you was uh, the center of the Mm -hmm. the world and uh, mm -hmm. you forgive completely the Lord and mm -hmm. one change life. No? But the real earth is sometimes is surrender is very difficult. No? In, for me, I, I, I see I not surrender 100% and maybe 20 sometimes. I don't know. I don't know once, but I see my rebellion inside mm. and I see what I am. No? Mm. Yes, I can give uh, my sincerity to the Lord. No, I want to feel. I know what I are doing, but uh, I know it's not uh, good, and I want to feel more the repentance. Mm -hmm. I I say sorry, but I don't feel like I want sorry. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I, I don't. So this is the uh, always, uh, and also uh, I say. I will love you, but I don't. I, I know I, I don't love you what I like. Mm -hmm. The truth is, I love more myself mm -hmm. than you. I mm -hmm. say, I say, I speak like that to the Lord because I say, if I love you more, uh, sometimes I don't know, maybe mobile friends, no It's first. Many things are first, or or maybe when I do first is by my imposition, but I don't arrive to this love, no? So, so sometimes I think maybe you are not 
not a repentance or maybe mm -hmm. surrender. And mm. I'm discording to myself because I want to write there. I want to be honest with the Lord and be mm. more and more, no? Mm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it had what you shared, it happens to all of us and it's, I mean, surrender, as you say, surrender is not easy. And that's an important point to make because sometimes we may forget about, we don't use this word too much or we may take it lightly. And I mean, again, surrender should be the most natural thing, but since we are in the most unnatural situation, <laughs> the most natural thing is the most difficult. Sur surrender natural is the, the most natural organic expression of the soul with God. But sometimes we are so opposed to that, so far from that, that surrender feels like hell, <laughs> like a torture, like death, like we are being burned alive. Well, actually should be the most beautiful, glorious thing. <laughs> so that shows sometimes how, where we are. And that can be painful that, and should be painful. N not like promoting masochism and you have to suffer all you, but... <laughs> But healthy repentance, as you mentioned, because if there's no repentance at all, we take spiritual life in a very like cheap way, like just I want to enjoy, I want to be happy, uh, and and I should be repenting and suffering for a few things, no, in a healthy way, sustainable way. I mean, suffering is not a bad thing <laughs> if you repent for things that are worthy of being repentant. That's that's way a way of healing. So. And generally, we may say, as you mentioned, sometimes we may say, I want to love Krishna, but sometimes we realize, I don't want to love Krishna yet. <laughs> I want the truth. And sometimes comes a test to our lives and realize, I don't want the truth that much. <laughs> sometimes I, I say I want it, but when I'm being confronted with the price I have to pay, I realize I, I'm not willing to pay that price. I, I still want a very comfortable comfort zone version of truth but by definition truth will kick me out from comfort zone <laughs> so then that's those are the moments where i realize oops i'm not so sure if i understood anything correctly <laughs> again and, and that's part of the journey that's not something bad it's part of where we become humbled we feel as i said the other day is humbling failure some days we have days of inspiring hope. Some days we have days of humbling failure. When sometimes we realize, oh my God, I'm a disaster. <laughs> but at the same time, remember, Krishna loves you unconditionally. No? All the things remain in place. So you have to keep in place those things. Because if you just hammer too much and I'm a disaster, I'm a disaster, <laughs> you forget Krishna's loving you unconditionally. You forget about all this grace that still is knocking on your door and you get depressed and more. So we have to balance all the things. But we will be having days in our spiritual journey where we will feel embarrassed to recognize to ourselves how little we are will, willing to pay for Krishna still. Even though we know he's given me so much and I'm, I'm not ready to give that much yet. That's what Mahaprabhu is showing in the second verse of Shikshastakam. He's showing repentance. He's saying first, Nam Namakari Bahudanya Sarva Saktis. Oh, Krishna, you are 
you have so many names and all these names are full of your energies all of your names and there are not very there are no hard rules for singing these names and such is your mercy but I am so unfortunate that I don't have any taste for this. So that's the repentant line, right? The first three lines is, your grace of me is so great, incredible. But when I, when I look to you, I see oh, such an abundant mercy, grace. When I look to you, and in contrast to that, when I look to me, in relation to what you are giving me, I have no taste. So there comes a feeling of Mahaprabhu showing that has to happen. That's my point. He's not, what we are talking is not bad. <laughs> it's not something we should avoid. It's something we should confront. Because if not, if we escape from that, that will run after, behind us, wherever we go. <laughs> it's not that we have solved. So yeah, repentance is necessary. It's a fire. Interestingly, in Sanskrit, the word repentance is mentioned as anutapa. Anutapa. Tapa means fire. Anu means which follows. So it's like, like which follows the fire. It's like, it implies like you have to enter into a fire. Repentance will burn. Huh? And, and, and then we will follow something as a sincere, a more sincere version of ourselves. Let's put it like that. We are sincere on some level. We are surrendered on some level. Again, it's not black and white. On some level, all those things are there. But there's unlimited potential for surrender. <laughs> so I can always surrender more. So no matter how surrender I am, I can always surrender more. So you follow. So there will be always an ongoing process to, to reach new levels. New levels, new levels, new levels of surrender and repentance and surrender and repent. No limit forever. So we should be accustomed to that fire. <laughs> Even in the spiritual world that happens. It's to say that when, I don't know, Sri Radha is having, is perspiring one drop, has a drop of perspiration, and Rupa Manjari, Rupa Goswami, she's seeing that. And she's completely in tadatmya and complete absorption and identification with the needs of Sri Radha. She sees that drop of perspiration and she's like, what must I have done wrong to have my mistress in anxiety? No. Again, it's not neurosis. You know? Don't take it like, oh, that's too much. How you can be so hard upon yourself for a drop of perspiration? <laughs> but that speaks about the degree, the intensity of, of surrender and identification that when something, some little thing happens, repentance comes in that form, in that level. We are in another, in another level. But my point is, that happens everywhere. <laughs> so, so it's painful, of course, because there is nothing more painful than having to acknowledge certain things to ourselves. That's the most painful thing. <laughs> when you have to acknowledge to ourselves I'm actually not willing to pay the price for real truth. I'm willing, I'm really compromising my integrity. I'm hypocrite still. I'm contradicting myself. I say one thing and I'm not sustaining that. 
we have to be honest. I mean, we are not here in Christian consciousness to make create the perfect facade so nobody else notices you know, how much I'm failing. That shouldn't be the culture of Sadhu Sangha. Culture of Sadhu Sangha is let's get together and be vulnerable and open and share how we failed miserably today <laughs> with one another. In, in communion, in, in circle. Not, so you are not carrying your own failure with yourself only, but just that's not only share that, of course, but <laughs> that's part of the sharing also. And, and then let, let's enter into the fire of repentance all together. And let's support each other and let's give hope to each other. Let's also normalize failure, as I talked many times. It's good to be repentant, but also it's good to not stigmatize failure too much. So all the things have to be kept in balance. <laughs> because sometimes we may become overtly repentant <laughs> and it's too much. Or sometimes we may overtly normalize my failure and uh, it's okay, people fail, I will continue doing. Not that extreme. <laughs> and not the extreme of just picking a whip and torturing myself and others at every single failure. So some sustainable middle point of repentance is, yes, an expression of Saranagati. The first two angas of Saranagati are Anukulyasa Sankalpa Pratikulyasa Vardhanam, which means accept what's favorable for bhakti, reject what's not favorable. And <laughs> immediately that comes because one will say, okay, that's the first two rules of surrender. Accept what's favorable, reject what's unfavorable. Yes, but the point is when I ask, okay, so what's favorable and what's unfavorable? So you are informed, this is favorable, this is unfavorable, you will realize, oh my God, all that is favorable for bhakti, I have it in my unfavorable list. And whatever is unfavorable for bhakti, many of those things are in my list of favorites. So repentance. <laughs> and, and you will try gradually to, to change the priorities and change the list and really live for the favorable and put them favorable and insupportable. But it's not from one day to another. So in the, con in the, in, in the context of doing that, and that takes time, we will fail, we will be aware, I'm doing these things that I know go against my ideal, and I still keep doing them. <laughs> I have such a great capacity for mischief. <laughs> and Krishna still loves me and waits for me. So that mixture will create repentance also. It's not only about how bad I am, but how good he is, despite my messiness. So when you put those two together, hopefully a few tears come from your eyes because you will be more, at the end of the day, you will be more crying, not so much from, from for your mistake, but for Krishna still loving you so much despite your mistake. <laughs> and there will be repentance on that base, on that foundation, not on the foundation of ego. Because if not, it's only me. I'm so bad and I'm so bad and I did this and I did that and it's all about me. And I'm repentant about, but that's not humble repentance. It's neurotic repentance. Humble repentance is, yeah, I did this. And the bigger picture is Krishna is so grateful and merciful and still loves me and so many opportunities are still coming. That's why Mahaprabhu, in the second verse of Sikshastakama that I quoted, three lines are for Mahap, for God's grace and one line is for his 
lack of taste. So the proportion is clear there. Okay, you analyze your misdeeds, you're an artist, one line, three lines, Christian's mercy. That's the proportion to keep it healthy, so to say. Because if you put three lines of your own stuff and just one line for Krishna's mercy, you are giving more strength and weight to your own stuff. But as I say many times, our anarthas are not more powerful than Krishna's mercy. You put all your anarthas together in one place, they are nothing in comparison with the weight and strength of Krishna's love and mercy. So we should keep that proper proportions in mind, yeah. But yeah, it's, it's a nice point you made, thank you, the connection between repentance and surrender. And again, the other aspects of surrender that are in our traditions are trust that Krishna is protecting you. And again, we may trust, but many times we may realize, I'm not trusting that Krishna is protecting me. I'm so afraid. I'm calculating. I want to make all arrangements in order to be protected from so many directions that I should trust that Krishna is protected. I fail. Repentance again. <laughs> accept that Krishna is maintaining you. Many times we don't want to accept that. That's a bitter pill to swallow. So the, 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 the contrast of us trying to embrace that and failing miserably, <laughs> again, always give right opportunity for expressing proper repentance. In the context of, again, still he's loving me and supporting me and so on and so forth. So, so I think it's important for devotees to, for everyone, to find a healthy point of repentance. So we don't have to reject repentance altogether, but also we don't have to embrace repentance from a neurotic uh, level, so to say. Which sometimes is what happens. You go to one extreme, the neurotic repentance, and then you go to the no repentance at all. No? And it's like two sides of the same coin, basically. So we need to get the middle point. Yeah. Something else? Can you say a couple of words about Kali? What do you mean by Kali? Uh, the goddess, the age? That's what I'm asking. What do you have in mind? What do you have in mind? For the age? When you think the age is the name of the goddess, mm. no? Mm. And it's the age after the rules, so it's more good again. Mm. Maybe I won't say who is the goddess. Mm. Well, Kali, as a goddess, is <clears throat> a personification, we could say, of material nature, to put it simply. There are different forms of her. There are unending names. Uh, but in brief, and generally, Kali is more connected with a ferocious aspect <laughs> of material nature, which, again, we have to understand that in context. Now, it's not that material nature in itself is like a, a bad lady, so to say, or something. It's, it just speaks about how the environment reacts depending on our approach. Hmm? follow because as we mentioned a few classes ago from Shastri it said material nature is the highest Vaishnavi no? <laughs> Maya Shakti is serving Krishna better than us so you have to put all those things in place no so we don't think okay material nature is Kali and Kali is this so I have to be afraid because at any moment 
and again we we, we create an orientation to life that is scary <laughs> so yeah kali basically is an expression uh, of material nature in personified form ferocious which is ferocious because it's reciprocating with our uh, ferocious approach to her <laughs> we can be very ferocious in how we relate to this world very abusive very exploitative so correspondingly to that we will suffer a particular effect so we learn the lesson not chastisement so we learn the lesson take proper responsibility so that's a few words regarding kali as a goddess of course there are different forms of kali devi bhadra kali Vaishnav, there, there are many names and forms, but in general, they represent the material energy. And of course, all these devis, even the material or the spiritual ones, if we talk about Saraswati, Kali, Parvati, Lakshmi, all of all, all of the devi departments, so to say, is an ex, are expansions of Sri Radha. She's the original goddess. Even all the names of of the goddesses are first of all names of Radha. For example, one name of Kali is Durga. Durga means two things. In, in relation to Durga's presiding deity of the material world means sometimes difficult to get out from. <laughs> and also Durga can refer difficult to get to. So that will be a name of Sri Radha. No. It's not so easy to get to her service. It's a very confident. So one, first of all, Durga is the name of Radha, and there, then it's the name of something else. This is what Mahaprabhu also talked when he was a Sanskrit teacher in his school. He will teach that every Sanskrit word first is the name of God, and then it points to something else. But all words first indicate God. Secondarily, indicate whatever table earth cloud sun first all of them point to him so that's one thing and regarding kali as an age well one could make the connection that <coughs> um, uh, if one wants to connect the, the 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 influence of the of the qualities of the goddess kali to this age well again this age, generally, people is quite ferocious in their way to <laughs> to relate to life and this world. So there's the corresponding goddess reciprocating with that ferocity, if you want to make a connection between goddess Kali and age Kali. And generally also Kali, of course, as you may have heard, there is this definition of gold and different metals, and Kali will be like iron age. Uh, or the age of sometimes described as quarrel and hypocrisy, basically describing like a quality of time, mm -hmm. particular quality pre presiding a particular period of time. And, and I won't enter into the details of some things that the scriptures say about the age of Kali, but something that is very interesting for us at least is that Kali Yuga in one sense is the worst age, and that's the last cant of the Bhagavatam. Canto 12 is the, the age of Kali. The 12th canto is all about the age of Kali. So that's interesting also because the narrative of the Bhagavatam is relatively consistent in certain direction and the 12th canto seems kind of to digress. Like 
because it's Uddhava talking with Krishna in the 11th canto, and suddenly it's like all about Kali Yuga. So it's like, why? <laughs> and of course, you understand that in how the Bhagavatam is concluding. You know, where is the conclusion of the Bhagavatam? It starts to praise Mahaprabhu. We say yesterday, the last verse of the Bhagavatam, Nam Sankirtanam Yashas, and so on, is praising the Sankirtan of Mahaprabhu in Kali Yuga. But before that last note, before closing the curtains, the Bhagavatam starts to glorify Kali Yuga. Kalim Sabajayanti Arya, says the Bhagavatam. The age of Kali is glorified by a host of great sages. So first it begins to describe Kali as the worst possible place you could ever be. <laughs> and then it starts to shift to show, actually Kali Yuga is the best age. <laughs> It's the worst and it's the best. And you choose, depending what how you choose to live in Kali Yuga, you will be facing the worst age or the best age. No? That, that's the, the, the interesting way in which the Bhagavatam concludes. First, talking about the disastrous symptoms of Kali Yuga and it's the worst possible thing and this will happen and that will happen. This is happening. And then it starts to make this point. For example, it says, Kalera Doshani De Rajam Astihi Ek Mahaguna Kirtana Deva Krishna Syamukta Sangha Parambraja. Kalera Doshani De. This Kali is a Doshani De. It's a, an ocean of faults. Imagine. Imagine if you are thrown into an ocean of faults, not an ocean of water, an ocean of faults. In an ocean, you only see ocean, whatever you see. Ocean, no, no end to the ocean. In Kali, it's ocean of faults. Even if there are no faults, your mind is always saying faults. <laughs> it's creating the ocean of faults. Kali dosha nide raja astihi eka mahaguna, says Sukadev Goswami to Pariksit. Oh, king, he said. He says, Kali dosha nide, this Kali Yuga is an ocean of fault. Rajan, Rajan means, oh, king. So Sukadev Goswami said, oh, king. Despite such an ocean of faults, oh, King, Mahaguna, there is one Mahaguna in Kali Yuga. There is one big virtue, one big quality, like implying this one thing is so big, so powerful that it can do away with the whole ocean. Wow. So it's creating the momentum. One will ask, what's that? So then he for says, the Sorry? This is for the Mexicans of the Lord. Say it in Spanish because you are saying it wrong in English. By the mercy. Okay, not for. Yeah, okay. I, I want to clarify. Yeah. So he will say, Kirtanat Eva Krishnasya Mukta Sangam Parambrajan. By the Kirtan to Krishna of, of Krishna, Mukta Sangha Parambrajan. One can get liberated from all entanglement and one can attain the supreme goal. Just by that practice, by the mercy of the Lord. Hmm? Coming this. Because establishing the Yuga Dharma, the Sankirtan of Mahaprabhu. So there are many verses like that. You know? So again, it's I always make that point to the devotees. Kali Yuga is the worst age and it's also the best age. It can be the age of the iron age or it can be the golden age. You, know? you choose which metal, <laughs> which currency you want to use. <laughs> and, 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 you, and you see the two things. I mean, if you properly engage in Krishna Bhakti in this Kali Yuga, you are here in the abode of uh, the Yuga Dharma, so to say. You can experience the golden age, but also you can just 
look a little bit beyond the surface and you can see how the world continues its degrading process. I mean, it's more and more uh, dark in, in its own way. But at the same time, there are certain currents, and I wouldn't limit that only to Gaudiya Vaishnavs. I'm connected to, to other people from other traditions that also they naturally, but it's like a way of contrast. You know, like the thing is so much degraded that naturally in certain people, it creates the need for exactly the opposite of that. So at the same time, there are some deep movements and currents of awakening and consciousness and trying to really live life from a way non-Kali Yuga approach, so to say. <laughs> so it's, it's quite like you have these two very opposite currents going on. No? So all that is happening in Kali Yuga. No? So again, it's up to us from which place do we, do we choose to participate in Kali Yuga? Which which Kali Yuga do we do we choose? The Bhagavatam is showing the two options, so to say. <laughs> but of course, concluding in the note of praising Harinam Sankirtan and Mahaprabhu and trying to make clear that's that's the Kali Yuga. So it's like the word violence. At the beginning, it means uh, abundance of force. But if you interpret I didn't understand, sorry. Yeah, at the end of the day, we have to, as we always say, Brindavan or Navadvip, for that sake, is a state of consciousness. So <laughs> we have to to be to enter in, into into that state internally, no matter where we are externally, no? which is not easy. But but yeah, it's good to. Which are those two places? Like in Kali Yuga and in the mm. Like I get glimpses, and it's like, is there anything in Sanskrit that says that we can exist in more than one place as a chica? Yeah, obviously, depending what you mean by place, but like, um, because of course here you are here physically, but what you say, I mean, two yeah, places are not that you have one body yeah, in UK and one no, here. No, like in consciousness. Oh, yeah, so yeah. You can see. Both. Yeah. And depending on, because I sometimes, not often, get a little taste, tiny little taste, and then I'm still like I'm in two places. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. There are, there are the different stages in the journey, no? Of course, when one is absolutely advanced, one will be totally absorbed into 
certain realities, but but I will say that even if you connect with some, how to say, dark sides of Kali Yuga, if you are deeply connected to spirituality, also that dark side of Kali Yuga will create in you so much compassion and so much feelings. Like, like, I mean, when Srila Prabhupada went to the West, I mean, we will say he was totally transcendental, but at the same time, he felt genuine compassion for so many situations. He was in contact with that side of Kali Yuga, if you want to put it like that, no? So he was in the two, because if he could, if he wouldn't be there, he couldn't say anything. He could empathize with the situation and address the situation. So, so it's not bad. That's my point, no? It's not something that I would like to get out from this as soon. The point, the point is how we relate with those two places, no? Because one thing is we get distracted and carried away by Kali Yuga, but the other thing is when we glimpse of that, we, we we develop more compassion and we try to think ways of helping others. Yeah, of course, of course, of course. I'm just talking as a general principle. And each one has to see how they can deal with that in a sustainable way, so to say, because I gave the example of Prabhupada, but we cannot imitate him either. No? <laughs> But also, I wouldn't say we have to escape from everything that is happening in the world because I don't want to be disturbed and and I want to just be spiritual and inspired. But sometimes that can be a form of evasiveness also. And sometimes we may need to be put to test and to be confronted to see where we are. Because if, if we are not put to test, we don't know where we are, basically. Mm -hmm. Everything is like nice and calm and easy. But... Sometimes in order to change and grow, we need to, on some level, again, I'm not saying forcing but you, situations. You trust, trust yourself. I know what I, my vulnerability. Vulnerability. Yes. So I don't want to put that in, 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 in there, in, you know. I want to protect that. This. Yeah, yeah. Because later I don't like what my reactions is. Say, oh, you know, it's like, where are you, huh? But also one has to do something with that because we may know, okay, I'm vulnerable with that. I won't like just expose myself to something that may be too much. I cannot pass the test, <laughs> but also I have to somehow gradually work on that on some level. It's, it's not just about like, like to give an example and it's just an example. I may realize I have anger issues. So sometimes I'm with someone and and it's starting to come. So I mean, oh, I don't like when anger is coming. That's a part of me that is, I'm vulnerable to that. So I will avoid situations where anger comes. And it's like, okay, but you haven't, you, you didn't solve the problem. Yeah. So it's still there. So why may, I, I'm not saying try to be angry with as much people as you can. So you <laughs> confront the demon. I'm not saying that, but not extreme of, I'll try to avoid, and when anger is coming, I will run away uh, to my room and I will just scream and beat the wall. <laughs> Somehow we, we need to address what's that? What's that anger? What's the root of the anger? Because the anger is just the symptom. I mean, behind anger is what's there, some unresolved necessities that express, get triggered. So my point is there are a few other layers to, to address in those situations. and. 
while we may not fully expose ourselves to that, also we shouldn't run away from that totally, but see a way to don't lose sight of them and, and work on them gradually. It may take time. It may take years and decades and lifetimes because each of us have their own, our own, how do you say in English? Aquiles Hill. Aquiles, Aquiles Hill, Talon de Aquiles. No? So we will know, okay, this is the anarta of my of this lifetime, <laughs> the top one. And that may take whole life no? or whatever. So it okay. So I'm patient, I'm working on that, but I, I won't be naive thinking in a month it's gone. I mean Krishna can do whatever he likes, but <laughs> but we have to be realistic and patient as well, yeah. Feeling of fear in the heart, and you look at the situation of the family, and mm -hmm. squealing like a lot of fear, mm -hmm. you know, like how even children are getting diverted, and you know, they detect mobile phones, or how everything is happening. The pornography, or the terrorism, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of fear. It's overwhelming, of course. AI, I was, I was seeing a few things on course you can do some interesting things with that but also how much morally equipped we are to not be corrupted in the process completely are <laughs> so so again I'm, I'm not just it's not i don't want to say it's natural that you are fearful but somehow it's natural because of the degree of monstrosity that sometimes comes because there's no chance to preach. People cannot get, get out of office. Yeah, I, will, I wouldn't get to that conclusion because that's a little bit hopeless. <laughs> I can understand that sometimes we may feel that. We may kind of be overwhelmed. And that's why one has to be balanced because, of course, there are so many horrible things going on in the world and you can be the 24 hours of the day just informing yourself about that. <laughs> but probably that will be overwhelming, right? So... And that's sometimes why the news are so much overwhelming. No, generally, the news are not talking about the unconditional love of Krishna and the grace that is still available, but it's just wars and raping and crimes and lies and corruption and, and sexuality and destruction. No, like they say it in Rome, like bread and circus, they will say, no, like just like so one is completely out of sync with reality. So although that's going on, I mean, at this precise moment, how many people is being raped, killed, committing suicide? But if you just try to think all your day about that, at this moment, you go crazy probably. No? So you know that's going on, but also you have to keep your sanity <laughs> and you have to concentrate on, the, on watering the root. That's what Bhagavatam is saying. By watering the root of the tree, all the other parts is nourished. I'm not saying you don't do anything for any of those causes, but the main thing we can do at the end of the day is trying to love God, <laughs> as abstract as that may sound. That's watering the root of everything else. So that's benefiting and blessing everyone in every direction, even though we may not see that. And yes, sharing the message may become more challenging, but also it's an, an invitation for us to be more creative and more compassionate and more because again in connection to that degree of whatever suffering and war and conflict 
there's also a corresponding degree of dissatisfaction because all those things like you were talking about pornography and all this stuff, people become even addicted to that. But at one point, I mean, that's that's not satisfying. Of course, we know. So that creates its own wave of dissatisfaction, of existential void, of lack of meaning, of lack of purpose. I mean, there's a huge crisis in the world of the main crisis, I will say, that's what also Viktor Frankl will say in his Man in Search of Meaning, and that's still for me current. He will say the main uh, crisis of our age is a crisis of purpose and meaning. People lack a sense of purpose and meaning. So, um, so we are invited to provide that, basically, you know? because there is such a huge thirst for that. Even though people may be distracted and affected and degraded, <laughs> at the end of the day, we have to be, how to say, compassionate and see. I mean, what, the only thing they are looking for at the end of the day is the same thing we are looking for, but they 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 don't have the information of where to look for that. So they are desperate for meaning, purpose, love, shelter, mercy, affection, identity, a sense of identity. You see nowadays people is changing their identity after two days. No? Like some of them are like to the extreme of I'm a cow and now I'm, I, I identify myself as a, as a chair and I want to be treated as a chair. Okay, you are not so aware of that layer of, of, of things. But there is a whole issue not only with gender identity but with identity in general where people is kind of switching uh, in, in many strange directions like today i identify as a giraffe and if you don't treat me as a giraffe you are you are being violent to me and and, and this type of things you now it becomes everything so susceptible and we become so weak and, and but at the end of the day i'm not condemning any of them i'm just saying there's such a thirst for identity who i am who i am but if if you don't land in sustainable identities you are just like shifting and that's there's so much suffering for that people. Try to imagine if you are shifting your sense of identity every week. It's no stability, complete disarray, complete turbulence. So again, lots of reasons for us to be more compassionate <laughs> and, 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 and for and, and lots of deeper necessity and thirst for purpose and meaning. <laughs> I think that's happening more in the states, right? Yeah, that's prevalent there. Generally, it begins there and then explodes in other directions. I applying for some course, <laughs> and she sent me the application form, and it was like, are you a she, her, him, all mm. these different genders? Mm. And I was like, I'm just a human being. Mm -hmm. I, I actually didn't know mm. kind of like the thing you were talking about, like mm -hmm. all these boxes that you could have ticked. I was like, yeah. yeah. And again, I'm not condemning anyone who chooses to identify themselves and one thing or that, I'm just trying to, let's go beyond that and see who we are and who we need to identify with and how much when that's not present. Even if I identify myself as a normal human male, still at the end of the day, it's, that's not me also. Uh, it may be more balancing for me that if I identify with the harmonium, <laughs> But still, still, it has to be solved at one point on another level because I'm not a human male for eternity. So you follow my point. So we need to find some sense of identity that is settling, that is balancing, 
But even that sense eventually may need to be as well transcended. But at least, anyhow, we have to provide, we are, we are, we are invited to provide so much relief and hope and balance, not only ourselves, but so many other people. Of course, we need to be in balance ourselves first. <laughs> we, we shouldn't be too anxious about saving the world if we are not saved ourselves. We can just extend to others what we have integrated. So that's an important point also, again, not only distribute the books, read the books. Not only save the world, save yourself. <laughs> it's more difficult to save yourself. <laughs> oh, of course. Maivan, from the dark. Speak a little loud because I may not hear. I was trying to understand the greeting or what do you mean by all the different ish that we have? Like, you know, there is so many ways to, uh, so many forms of God, so many ways to reach for Him. Yeah, but one, one should only have one ish Okay, so that's my question. Is it like different step of baptism and each, each step, one each step, or should we focus on one only and how to know which one? Mm -hmm. What's, what's the, yeah. what is there any more about this? Yeah. Oh. Okay. Yeah, in general, again, each step means like worshipable deity. So there, one thing is there are different aspects of God, I mean, unlimited, Bhagavatam say asankhya, which means uncountable, but doesn't mean that I should worship all of them. I mean, all of them are the same person, but it's not that, okay, Monday, Narayan, Tuesday, Kurma, I do, I do my Dasavatar parade or something, you know, because it's it's confusing. It, there are some, that's why I also generally tell the devotees, also don't put too many deities in the altar because it creates like a like a distraction. It's like sometimes I see the Radha, Krishna, Hanuman, Sita, Ram, Gopal, little Gopal, and it's like, wow, no, you have Batsalya, Madhurya, Dasya, Baikunta, Lakshmi Devi, Ramachandra. And I mean, I'm not condemning this, but Istadev is there's something you have, you can focus in one direction and like there is an interaction and you direct a certain mood, no? Uh, so, so yeah, ideally, there is one, one should focus on one Istadev and it's not that every stage has a different instead. That's my, of course there there may be cases when the boat is in the beginning they may have certain istadev, and in time they realize they have affinity for another phase of Bhagavan, which may be more an exception to the rule, I will say, but there are exceptions to the rule. It's okay. They are not better or worse, they're what they are. And they somehow adjust their sadhana. In that direction with the guidance of the guru and all the things ideally are to be consulted with, with the spiritual teacher but yeah generally of course i will say i mentioned one is Tadev. we have two <laughs> no mahaprabhu and, and, and krishna or radha and krishna mahaprabhu in one sense they are not different in that sense is one yes well, in Christianity, you have the Trinity, right? Yeah. So there are three and it's the same. They are one. 
God is community. No? So, I mean, I'm not making a full comparison in one Trinity and the other, but we have our own, we could say we have our own Trinitarian <laughs> conception. So I know it's difficult to, no, to put in one's head, and it may require lots of practice and meditation and mercy to, to be okay with the idea. Okay, God is one, and more and one and different at the same time, be it a bit. So, and and that may take some time also to be again educated about okay, who is Radha, who is Krishna, in which sense they are different, in which sense they are one, because in one sense Radha and Krishna are one are non different. There's, there are one soul in two bodies, if you want to put it like that. But in another sense, they are different. <laughs> it's the same absolute expressing itself in two forms for the sake of loving interaction, lila. And we know how Mahaprabhu's form manifests. So I know it's complex. I know it's just very easy. So one should also... In, in one's practice, again, we have this today, okay... Mahaprabhu, Radha and Krishna. In one sense, they are non-different. In one sense, they are different. At times, when may, one's prayers may go in one direction. One's prayer may go in another direction. They are non-different. We see in our acharyas, sometimes they are praying to Mahaprabhu. They are praying to Krishna. They are praying to Sri Radha. It shouldn't be a problem. I will say in time, by mercy and practice, all these things that now seem impossible to accommodate in our head, they get accommodated in our heart because the difficulty now is in our heads. It's not about the heart. That's There's not a problem. But in the beginning, of course, we try to process things through here. And it's okay. There's a, there's a purpose to having a head. <laughs> but also there is a purpose to, to making the head collapse and realizing there are some things that I cannot know by my intellect. And I have to surrender. <laughs> And I have to open for grace. And gradually you start to have this mercy that makes you, oh, be okay with the idea of God being tree. No, okay. God is community. No, God is not one person in one sense. It's a community. Wow. It's a, again, it's, it's difficult to uh, the way we experience reality on a daily basis. But who say that God is how we experience reality on a daily basis? No? So... Yeah, basically that. But yeah, we shouldn't be shifting istadevs <coughs> on different stages or, or something like that. Generally, that, that won't be happening. Generally, one one receives the, the one's istadev, so to say, by one's guru giving the mantra, and, and that fixes the istadev, fixes the focus and fixes the, the sadhana, the practice with that particular sadhya or goal in mind. Yeah. And if some adjustment needs to be done in the, in the, con in the context of the journey, of, okay, that, that can be always talked about. No? Like the famous example of Rupa Goswami and Sanatan Goswami, they had a third brother called Anupama. So Rupa Goswami and Sanatan Goswami, we know who they are. In Krishna Lila, they're Rupa Manjari, Lavanga Manjari. They serve Radha and Krishna. They are in Madhurya Bhavi, Manjari Bhav. So an Anupama, one day the three of them, the three brothers, make kind of a pact. Pact, you say? Like a, three brothers, like with fire and whatever. <laughs> so we will worship Radha and Krishna our whole life. They will be our Easter death. 
So boom, the three of them signed the contract. And that night, Anupama cannot sleep. Rupa Goswami and Janatan was because he had such a strong affinity <coughs> for Sita Ram. So he could like think of the possibility of of course he knew Sita Ram and Radha and Krishna are the same couple, <laughs> but at the same time it's a different mood. And he was not, he couldn't feel I can abandon Sita Ram. It's like I'm dying. So the next day he went to to his brothers telling them, like, I, I cannot leave the worship of Sita Ram and I make this pact bow of worshiping Radha Krishna forever. So they say, Well, go to Mahaprabhu and ask, present your case to him. And so he goes and he presents the case to Mahaprabhu. He tells, I cannot leave Sita Ram. Although I break it, I did a bow and I'm I think I'm breaking it. <laughs> Mahaprabhu replied, Blessed is that Lord, is that devotee who cannot give up his Lord, and blessed is that Lord who cannot give up his devotee. No. <laughs> so Mahaprabhu was praising his his affinity towards Sita Ram. He was not angry. No? So, so it's the case of someone, I mean, he, in one sense, he didn't change this to death, but he tried <laughs> and it didn't work. <laughs> Mahaprabhu was blessed and supported them. And so, there are different stories like this in Shastra. <coughs> but yeah, generally, one since today will be, unless one is, has been had been practicing from previous lives, uh, one one since today will depend on the on the connection one has in Sadhu Sangha and the and the bhakti scars that one receives in that lifetime, the impre devotional impressions coming from certain sadhus that will determine which will be our affinity in terms of worship. Okay. So I think we we talked quite a lot. I don't know if there is any urgent last question, but I think we had yeah, a good interaction, so we can conclude here with your permission. And thank you so much to all of you for the invitation, participation throughout this month and hosting me and inviting and being present, your questions, your association has been a very blessed experience, hopefully not the last time, <laughs> the beginning of many. So Sri Maya Purdham Ki Jai, Sri Satchinandan Gaur Hari Ki Jai, Sri Harinam Prabhu Ki Jai, Gaur Bhakta Vrinda Ki Jai, Gaur Premanam Haribo, Panchakalpatarubhyashtha, Kripasindhuhyayi Pachapati Tanam Pavanefya Vaishnavya Namon. Ananta Koti Vaishnava Bindaki Jai Gaud Gaud Haribo Jai. <coughs>